0: All right. Hello, everyone. And welcome to an episode of Spill the Coffee, all things speech language pathology. Um, I hope you all have a cup of coffee poured because I know I do. And we are going to just dive right in. Um, We have our first guest, um, Mary Cooper. She is a blogger. She has a blog called Old School Speech. Um, She has many years of experience as a speech language pathologist. And we are going to dive into things of talking about how our roles have changed um, from years ago to now um, and what that looks like. um, And we'll dive into more about that. But welcome, Mary.
1: Thank you, Allison. It's really, I'm really excited to
0: be here. It's so good to have you, and thank you for being our first guest, my first guest. It's been so great that um, to have you on here so that I can just have another colleague just to talk about some of this stuff with, um, especially one with so many years of experience in the field. Um, that's just going to be so great to hear the, all the things you have to say, um, and I'm really excited. Well, I am
1: so honored that you asked me to be your first guest ever.
0: <laughs> I am honored that you accepted. <laughs> so it, it is good all around. It's good all around. Um, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about you and, you know, obviously the areas that you um, work in and your experience.
1: Okay. So as Allison said, my name is Mary Cooper. I blog at Old School Speech. Um, I am currently living in East Tennessee, and in fact, I'm living up the street from the house where I grew up, um, after stints in Georgia and South Carolina, Um, so I've come full circle. Uh, Let's see, um, I have, right now, I am currently... Working in an elementary school, actually a couple of elementary schools, I travel um, okay. back and forth, not on the same day, though, so Whew. makes it a little bit easier. Right. Um, um, and I currently have a lot of articulation, a lot of language. I don't have any voice or fluency right now, um, and I do have some walk-in, three- and four-year-olds, some walk-in preschoolers, and I also serve one of the high schools. Awesome. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think what else did you
0: tell me to talk about? <laughs> oh, no, you're okay. You have such a wide variety of experience, especially with all ages. I feel like sometimes that's hard, especially when you – work in one area say like if you just focus on elementary you know I think that's hard to then transition to working with even high school I mean sometimes you get so stuck in such a comfort um you know developmental level that you know when you have to switch you know or even do that like you said even throughout your week that's that's impressive that's that's good stuff yeah
1: yeah it is difficult when you um in fact I had to ask my friends about uh Activities to do with a high school student because, you know, I've, I've been in elementary for so long, but that's a whole different ball game. You want to keep them motivated. So, you know, you, it's nice that we have a field where we can reach out to other people to get um,
0: advice it's so true you're so right and like especially at the high school level you know you get to that age where kids don't necessarily want to stand out and look different from their peers um and you also get to that age too for some of the lower functioning um students is you know things that are functional for them you know they're getting ready to graduate you know what's the next step and always just trying to find therapeutic activities that you know are going to benefit them functionally in their life um you know, such as going to a grocery store, buying groceries, um, talking to a cashier. What that looks like, um, right. ordering food from a restaurant independently. Um, so yeah, that's definitely that's a that's a hard that's a tricky it's a tricky age group for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. definitely.
0: Um, well, I want to dive into the topic of how our roles have changed. Um, you know, I've spoken, obviously, to colleagues of mine, or we always get referred to as the speech teachers, or we ju- you, just, you just teach R, right? You just teach kids how to say R, right? Um, and, you know, I often get that from, you know, families, parents, colleagues, I mean, anybody, really, that doesn't have as much knowledge of the profession or doesn't have as much, um, experience. If you, I also find that if you have never had to use a speech therapist before, or if you never, you know, eat, whether it was for your child or for a parent or for a family member or a friend, you know, oftentimes we get overlooked, you know, you're you're not really sure what we are or what we do, um, or that there's multiple layers. You know, we also do swallowing, you know, that there's more than just the physical, speech to it. Um, and I, I often get from even patients. I, I do, I do a little bit of work all over kind of like you, except I'm a little more, um, I do home health. I do, um, I work with adults with disabilities. I work with kids with disabilities. I work in an out, um, inpatient rehab hospital. So I'm a little bit everywhere. Um, but oftentimes with adults, if I say, you know, I'm a speech pathologist, you know, and I'm here to evaluate you or whatever the wording I use. I've had Uh patients say to me, how now, brown cow? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's (laughs) like, they're trying to prove to me that they can articulate words. And I'm like, okay, but that's not the only piece of what we do, right? So, um, but
1: isn't that, that's such a great thing about um, our field is that we have so many different options, you know, like not everybody's cut out to be a public school uh, speech path and not, or not everybody's cut out to, like, I could never work in a hospital. That's just not what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked in a skilled nursing facility for a couple of years and just realized you know, that just, I didn't feel like I was making a difference, you know, I couldn't wait to get back with the kids, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's such an awesome thing about our field.
0: Agreed, and I, I, think, I think that, too, about fluency and voice, you know, I feel like sometimes, you know, I get a, the, I have the occasional fluency, you know, student, but, you know, I feel that fluency and voice are really areas of specialty, and I am, like, mm-hmm. in awe, of speech pathologists that specialize in those areas. And it's just so, it just, it's such an area of it. Like I said, it's just such a special area. And I, I commend them because I feel like sometimes I am not the person that's cut out for voice therapy, especially (laughs) of all things. Um, But yes, I think that you're so right. I mean, we do have so many options and there's so many areas that we do cover. So you know, it's nice. And truthfully, you know, if you want to switch it up and you want to maybe work in public schools and maybe you're bored of it, you know, and then you go to the medical side or vice versa, you know, there's that option of kind of switching up your career a little bit without changing your career. Um, right. So I do think that that's, you know, that is a benefit, definitely a benefit of, a, of being a speech pathologist for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that your experience in like, say, even... 20 years ago in the field when you're, you know, working in a public school, do you, did you find that you were mostly seeing kids with articulation disorders? Were you, were you dealing even with language at that point? Like what, what was your experience back when you first started in the public school? What was your role then?
1: Okay. So that would have been, I don't know if I, if I even said how long I've been working in the, um, in the field, but so this is my 36th year in this in the field. And, um just to back up a little bit, and when I graduated, I had a B.S. when I started working in the public schools full time. okay, So that was way back in the dinosaur age when <laughs> they, the field was just trans- transitioning to everybody had to have their master's to work in a public school. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked for, I think it was five years with my bachelor's um, wow. as I was working on my master's. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can remember. Um, gosh, it was probably definitely my first seven. Within my first seven years, um, the assistant principal. I think I was working on language with the kids. So yeah, I, I've always worked with language on with children. Okay. Um, I remember him saying, oh, I didn't realize you did that, too. I thought you just worked on sounds. Mm-hmm. And this was an assistant principal. <laughs> and i like, right. yeah, I do other things. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, I think, you know, the education of exactly what our field is, I think that's come a long way um, over the past, past years.
0: I definitely agree with you on that.
1: Definitely. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always worked on arctic and language and voice and fluency. Um, so, I, you know, the uh, what I have seen, I'm just trying to think about, like, the eligibility standards have greatly changed mm-hmm. uh, for language. Um, you know, like, I think, I'm trying to think back, when I first started, I think we just gave one language test. Yep, you know, they... Didn't do well on it, so let's put them in. Mm -hmm. Um, Paperwork was a lot less.
0: (laughs) I'm sure. I have no doubt. (laughs) I have Um,
1: no doubt. Yeah, but on the flip side, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't really have computers, so everything was handwritten. Mm -hmm. That's so So, true. Yeah, so it's definitely a lot easier now as far as paperwork. But, um, uh, yeah, I I mean, I think – definitely we have to know so much more now than we did 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're expected to, to know it all, not know it all, but, you know, be able to figure it out or, Mm -hmm. uh, be able to research and find out what's the best strategy for this
0: student. Um, Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I found, I've, I found the same thing, even just in the, in the um, short time that I've been practicing, even just in, you know, the six years that I've been out of graduate school, you know, just, you know, the expectation that, you know, we, we should know everything, right. And we should know everything and how to fix everything and just make everything better and just make people communicate. And that's just our role. Um, You know, and like you said, I mean, I, it's no wonder we, obviously consistently have continuing education, we are always learning new ways, always learning new evidence-based practices. Um, But it's, it's so true. I mean, there's just, it it definitely has broadened, like again, even in the short time that I've feel like I've been practicing.
1: Yeah. And um, I I saw a, uh, I think it was an Instagram post the other day and somebody had put on uh, she was at a uh, a PD or a, a conference, okay. and she was like, "Oh, I've been doing it wrong all these years." And I was like, "No, you haven't been doing it wrong. You've just been doing it differently. Mm-hmm. So that's we're always learning a new way. Somebody's always coming out with a new way of um, of treating. Um, you know, like the, like right now, the multiple. Let me make sure. No, it's not multiple oppositions. It is what is that called? See, so yeah, I can't even remember what it's called. Um,
0: are you thinking uh, like uh, multi sensory?
1: No, it's the, um, oh, bad gum. Why can't I maximal, maximal opposition? Uh, I believe that's what it's called. Okay. That's not familiar.
0: Um, Not to me. I have not, I don't know if I've heard of that yet.
1: Well, you know, it's really funny because when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's the multi phonemic approach. Oh. And it's just like, you know, it's just <laughs> different names. Different <laughs> yeah, it's a different name and right. it's slightly different, but it, it may be an improvement from what I used to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's it's like, you know, our field is changing so much, like every, every year, every day it's changing. And, uh, and again, I think the internet and social media, that's really helping us to keep up with what's going on.
0: It's so true. And just like, even just like you had said about, you know, the benefits of our field and being able to reach out to other speech language pathologists to consult um, on a variety of things, I think, you know, and again, like you said, social media helping that because, you know, we all know our colleagues, our speech language pathologists, friends, right. Our, our speech language pathologist, you know, people that we went to graduate school with or undergraduate school with or you know we know friends of friends that are speech language pathologists those we, you know, we, we know those people in our network, but when you open the network across the world um, oh, yeah. with social media, I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of Instagram pages that I follow for speech pathology and all of the things that I see, it's almost like, you know, when they say like Instagram weddings, when your wedding has to be like picture perfect, like Instagram, it's kind of like how I feel about my therapy. Like I see these these men and women that are doing these therapeutic techniques and they're so creative with materials and yeah. all of this stuff. I'm thinking I am not adequate. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> adequate at my job Um, because you know, it's kind of like, it's just like an Instagram thing. You know, you think that there's so many people out there with such great thoughts and ideas that are so creative and have many strengths that maybe creativeness isn't necessarily one of mine, I will admit. Um but, you know, social media, like you said, has really opened up such a world for all of us as professionals to be able to reach out and collaborate. And again, you know, even just reading your blog, I mean, you know, being able to find you, you know, I think that just speaks in itself, you know, of being able to reach out to others, again, across state lines, across, across the country, across, you know, the world
1: yeah and it's it's just it's so incredible to collaborate with other um, other people you know all the way across the country um because everybody brings something different to the table. And you know like it's it, i'm I'm not a real research minded person. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I know this works, so I'm gonna do it. I don't know why it works, but I know it works. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm gonna do it. Um, you know, whereas I know people who are so, they could sit down and say, "Okay, this is why it works." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, "Okay, I don't." It just works, you know. Yeah, right. Gonna <laughs> keep doing it because it works.
0: Right, <laughs> and you just want to copy and paste their answer. <laughs> right? I'm just exactly. going to copy. <laughs> and paste. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's so true. And you know, to be able to balance, I think all of that as professionals, especially in the public schools, when you know we're no longer working off of caseload numbers. Obviously, I mean, I don't know how that's if that's changed for. Tennessee, I know that in Ohio, we no longer go by caseload numbers. I know that at at some point in Ohio in previous years, you we're only allowed up to 80 students on your caseload. Now that sounds like a crazy number to me. Uh Um, And now we finally switched over to looking at workload um, and what that looks like because, you know, numbers don't always speak to each child and a child is not a number, right? We know that they're a human being um, who has needs, um, you know, and finding that students who have autism may count as, you know, one and a half or even two, depending on the complexity and you know any like diagnoses other than autism um, that the child may have. But I mean, I like I said, I don't know how Tennessee is. Is it the same way there?
1: Uh, no, it's not. It's not okay. <laughs> we are um, uh, we are currently uh, into getting research about how other states are doing it. Okay. Um, the state organization is uh, kind of trying to work toward that. Um, I do know people who have over a hundred kids on their caseload. Oh my gosh, I can't even fathom that idea. I know, really. Like, um, I was talking to a friend of mine in the school system, and I was like, you know, if I have four in a group now, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this, you know, I'm just like going crazy, you know, thinking they're not getting what they need. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm like, how did we used to have six in a group? You know, right. I mean, there there were times when I did have six in a group. Um, when I worked in, I don't know if it was Georgia or South Carolina or maybe it it
0: was both. But um, yeah, um, that's a lot. That and that's yeah, a lot. That's a lot to differentiate too. You know, it's like you know you know that that some kids just generally have similar language needs, but they're still very different. So it's it's hard to you know, differentiate between even just two children, let alone six, and then to differentiate your teaching and your prompts that you give and trying not to prompt him when you know that she needs the prompting. I mean, that's, it's commendable for people who are able to do that because that's, that's tricky. That's, that's tough. Oh yeah.
1: And then of course you've got to have mixed groups too. When you have when you have a hundred kids on your caseload, right. you know, you've got to mix them up. And I, I just can't imagine. I mean, right, I do yeah. not have nearly
0: that much on my caseload, but no, same, um, same. I don't have as many as, as many either. Um, yeah. I just can't imagine. Absolutely not. But I, I am glad that, well, hopefully, hopefully Tennessee, you know, kind of starts to follow more of that workload theory too. Um, but I am finding that, you know, Workload is a little I, – I find a little better than looking just at numbers because I think that, you know, numbers are great. And when you put them on paper, they look a little overwhelming. But, you know, again, I think that just looking the chi- at the child as a child and as a human being or even, you know, for students who are older, I mean, you know, there's a lot of complex cases out there that, you know, shouldn't just count as one. You know, it shouldn't just exactly. be a single tally, um, you know, because Why? they require maybe – more attention, more services than say, you know, a child who you might be trying to teach ours to, right? <laughs> that that may be right, a, a little exactly. bit different. Requires less, um, you know, service.
1: Right, because yeah, because a, a person who may have thirty or forty on their caseload, but it has a lot of nonverbal students. If, you know that takes oh a nonverbal child. You know, just the planning, the um, that. Uh, just the, the boards and the pictures and, you know, just all the planning that goes into a nonverbal child mm-hmm. is very different from, you know, like you said, a caseload with a bunch of tech on it, you know.
0: Absolutely. Pull, you
1: know, if worst case scenario, pull out a game and pull out some cards.
0: Right, exactly. You know,
1: or, or pull up an app um, and let them look at picture cards through that. But, right. yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that they should look at. The child and what the child needs. Exactly. just the numbers. Right.
0: And to those people that have over 100 kids on their caseload, their hours in their day must be way more than the hours in my day because there is no way. There is no way um That it's just that's crazy to me. Those poor people. We feel for you. We do. Yeah. Anybody out there? You
1: wonder why there's a shortage.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We need. We need more. We need more. Yeah, exactly. News disclaimer to anybody listening: Go into the field of pathology. <laughs> we need you. We need you. Um. Real quick, we have about. Less than 10 minutes left or so, but I want to dive into a little bit about the now. Um, I know that there is some shift about looking into speech pathologists supporting phonological awareness skills, um, you know, supporting reading comprehension and all of that. Um, I know that we have assessments out there that do assess phonological awareness, and I think that sometimes there's an understanding or an expectation that we kind of take the lead on some of that. Um, But I also think that there's a piece of it too where. You know, we do. And like, you know, you and I had talked a little bit about before um, our, you know, this episode is that, you know, we do have interventionists who teach reading and writing. Um, and, you know, do we do we take the head role on teaching spelling and working on spelling? Or do we take more of a supportive role? Um, I think that. Across the board for all speech pathologists, I think it probably goes both ways. Um, I know that some people do, you know, just support on the supportive end as far as, you know, reinforcing some of the strategies, some of the techniques used, um, you know, maybe some consultation and kind of helping interventionists or, you know, reading and writing people in the direction of, of different strategies to try um, to help. And like we had like you had said about reading comprehension, teaching them the language skills that they need to access reading versus working on actually on the actual part of reading. So um, I'll let you talk a little bit about that.
1: Okay. well, like like we had talked before um, we started. um, So we have an interventionist in every one of our schools. And so we don't do the phonological awareness and we don't necessarily do reading comprehension, but as you said, we do this concentrate on the skills that they need to, um, achieve those, those targets, those literacy targets. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I've, you know, I have collaborated with our interventionists um, several times and, um, uh, we do in Tennessee. I guess it's all over the state. Um, our kids take the iReady test okay. three times, uh, three times a year, and uh, I actually wrote a blog post about this, about all the information that we as speech pathologists can get from those results. Wow! Um, and it's amazing because when I look at the results. And I look at the air like it breaks it down into each subtest. And when you look at each subtest, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's what we're working on um, in language therapy. Cool. And so it's, it's re- yeah, it's really cool. So, you know, that's a big way that I support my interventionists and support the teachers. Um and, of course, you know, it's it's so important to talk to the teachers. It's so important to know what they're doing in the classroom. How are they teaching those kids to read? You know, and I think, you know, we all kind of gripe about, oh, I had to sit through another PD. It didn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. But we can get so much information from sitting in those. And, yeah, sometimes they are boring. But it helps us to understand what's going on in the classroom. And it helps us to, to think of ways that we can better support those teachers with their language and with their
0: speech. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And like you said, even just sitting in some of that professional development, even if as a whole, it may not pertain to me, I may pick apart little things that I hear throughout that entire session and say, Oh, I can use this or, Oh, that's good to know. Or, Oh, I could incorporate that here and maybe do it a little differently, but still find a way to incorporate it. So, I Why? think you're so right. I think that, you know, it's it's hard when you look at the big picture, like, does this really relate to me? But then I think that if we really dive into the intricate details of it, that we may find that it does in a lot of areas, you know? Um, but I do agree with you as far as, you know, reading and writing interventionists and teaching the actual acts of reading and writing. I mean, leave it to the specialist, right? Like, I am definitely a stay in your lane kind of girl. Like, I know my lane. I know where I belong. I know my focus and my scope of practice. And I know that there are others who know way more than me about other areas. So, you know, sometimes when it comes to that area, I'll stay in my lane and support as needed or as asked, you know, Um, and as, you know, consult as needed too. So, um, you know, but again, I don't know, you know, back 30 years ago, if, you know, we, if, if speech therapists were teaching spelling, you know, is that really a a piece of what we did? Um, But now I think that there are some speech therapists out there that, that do, that might actually teach the act of spelling and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I, I think we have kind of gotten into more of the uh, supporting the classroom teacher over the years, Mm -hmm. as opposed to us being. A separate entity altogether. Um, I do, and I think that's a huge positive that's come over the years. Is that we are more embedded within the classroom
0: instruction, so um, so we can support the teacher more. Definitely definitely. I think you're so right. And I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we do all blur together a little bit, you know, interventionists might touch on a couple things we do, we might touch on a couple things and support interventionists in some ways. And, you know, even with the teacher and even occupational therapy and physical therapy, I mean, we might try to help incorporate things, you know, as we can, Um, I might reinforce a student putting their hand on, you know, their holding hand on a paper while they're doing something, because Mm -hmm. that's what they're doing in occupational therapy or physical therapy. So, you know, I think we all have Done a great job over the years, at you know, as far as collaboration and really being a true multidisciplinary team in the school, um, and really being able to work together to support each other in any way that we can. Right, exactly, exactly, so, and tr- being able to treat the whole child instead of just language or just exactly fine uh, motor. It's so true. You're so right. Well, Mary, thank you so much. I am just, again, I'm just thrilled that you, you came on here with me today. I am super excited for this episode. I hope that all the other speech paths out there listening are super excited too. I think that, you know, we covered some good stuff and I think that, you know, in the end public school has come a long way, especially for speech pathologists. And we continue to grow and continue to be better therapists and better collaborators. And, you know, we just continue to learn as, as the field changes, as medical, the medical world changes, all of it, you know, we, we absorb and we learn and we, we grow. So I think that we've done a nice job of that over the years.
1: Yeah. And I so appreciate you again, asking me to do this. This was, it was a shock and I, I
0: really appreciate oh, it. Oh gosh, I'm so happy you did. I, like I said, I, it's a social media world. It just brings, it brings people together. And I'm, I'm glad that it brought me to you because I think, like I said, you, you've had so many years of experience and there's so much to learn. So much to learn yeah. from you. And your blog is great. And for all of you out there, check out Old School Speech. It definitely is a great blog to check out. Um, before we finish up, I would like to give a disclaimer that all opinions expressed within this podcast don't re- necessarily reflect on the organizations um, associated with the speakers. Um, it is our opinion solely. Um, so, Mary, thank you again. And guys, stay tuned. I will catch you on the next one.